Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. We all know what it's like to have good days and bad days. Sometimes they're a mixture of both in 24 hours. The song goes, good days and bad days, I have no doubt. I could get by if they just even them out. I like this quote. If you think you're having a bad day, just remember that somewhere out there, a guy named Lester is trying to install his brand new IKEA furniture. Sometimes in the course of a week, we have more good days than bad. Other times it's the reverse. You know, an honest read of the Bible, especially Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, will tell us that this is our lot as fallen sinful humanity, wanting to be the masters of our universe. Some days might just be like that classic story by Judith Burst, Alexander and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. As we journey with ancient Israel across the wilderness wanderings in the book of Numbers, there have been a few good days, but these good days, uh, from these good days, we quickly descend into the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days which is what we find in this instalment. We finished chapters 22 to 24, this fascinating series of prophecies and oracles about Israel spoken by Balaam, remember, famous for having a, a donkey speak to him. And perhaps these last few chapters about B1 and B2 and Israel being on the receiving end of blessings rather than curses, perhaps this qualifies as good days. But now, in chapter 25 of Numbers, like we've seen so often across the book, the good day doesn't last too long and it quickly descends into a bad day. In fact, chapter 25 will be another tragic day in Israel's history, one that will be remembered across the pages of Scripture, that we might indeed learn from Israel's past mistakes. Remember Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 and 1 Corinthians 10. And this tragic story also happens at a place called Peor, which back in chapter 23, verse 28, at the top of the mountain, Balaam had just given his last great prophecy concerning Israel. But now at base camp, things get pretty messy. Very much like the pattern we see in Exodus 34. Remember as Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments from God? Meanwhile, Israel is down below at base camp, worshipping a golden cow. Well, let's hear about the start of this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Numbers chapter 25 verses 1 to 3. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Verse 1, with its rather unfortunate name in English for a campsite of Israel, reminds us that they're about to enter the Promised Land. Here's the second generation of Israelites. They're about to occupy the land flowing with milk and honey. But even though it's a new generation of God's people here in chapter 25, their hearts are still sinful just like their parents. Just like the parents at your church and my church are sinful and rebellious, so too the seemingly darling, innocent children in our churches will be sinful and rebellious. You just ask, have to ask any of your kids and youth leaders if they think your children are little bundles of perfection. Well, in Numbers 25, Israel is once again on the sin cycle and reveals her true heart problem. We read that some Israelite men 
do a little too much dancing with some Moabite women. Now keep in mind, God's already made it very clear that his people are to be separate from the other nations around them. Not because they're somehow better than the other nations, clearly they're not, but because God wants to establish them as his holy people, set apart for his holy purposes and witness. Balaam's even said in one of his prophecies, chapter 23, verse 9, I see a people who live by themselves set apart from other nations. Now, the ESV translation in chapter 25, verse 1, doesn't muck around with what's happening here. The people of Israel began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Israel plays the harlot and they engage in sexual immorality with Moabite women. Israel's having another bad day. They've fallen yet again. And as if their sexual sinning wasn't enough, they fall deeper into the snare of sin. Verse 2, the Moabite women invite the Israelites to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. The Baal of Peor is the Canaanite fertility god being worshipped here. This false god Baal is mentioned over 100 times across the Old Testament and this is the very first reference. Pretty soon, Baal worship becomes a snare for Israel across the book of Judges and Kings as they settle into the land. Wealth and prosperity is promised by this man-made idol and often sexual practices and even child sacrifices are part of the pagan rituals. Of course, ours is a world that offers a modern-day version of Baal worship. The world today, doesn't it, offer, offer us a, a religion to worship at the shrine of wealth and sex and materialism and prosperity and comfort, all wrapped up in one. You see, it's only verse 3, and this new generation break many commandments God's given to them, commandments to help them live as his people. Three verses, and already Israel are snared, caught up like a trapped animal, in immorality and idolatry. Only three verses, and they've stuffed up big time before their gracious God, who's about to give them the promised land, remember, the God who always keeps his promises. The other thing to realise about this tragic episode of chapter 25 is that someone is standing behind this story and actually manipulating God's people. The New Testament will call such a person an angel of light, a tool of the devil himself. We know his name as Balaam of Pethor. We later learn in Numbers 31 and elsewhere in the Bible, as we've seen, that Balaam is actually behind this sordid, sorry story. Having failed to curse Israel across the previous chapters, it seems he has a, a quiet word to King Balak and he whispers, Hey, King, have I got a deal for you? Let me give you a surefire way to make sure Israel doesn't cause you too much trouble. We can't get Israel to fall supernaturally. I mean, God's blessed them there, so I can't curse them for you. But let's go, another, go for another tactic. Let's get them to fall immorally and into idolatry. Now, if you're unsure of Balaam and his character across chapters 22 to 24, then chapter 25 leaves us in no doubt here is an agent of Satan. It's a simple plan, isn't it? Balaam counsels the king of Moab to arrange a, a few pretty women, free booze, great music, great food, and then invite Israel to this outdoor concert. Let's call it Moabstock uh, Mo Moab or spilt milk and sticky honey 
and then let sinful human nature take over. And basically, Israel destroys herself through their immorality and idolatry. The good days of Balaam's blessings are quickly replaced with the bad days of Balaam's blasphemy. No wonder we read in verse 3, And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And who could blame God? This sin cycle is happening all over again. It's another terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day for Israel. And here in Numbers chapter 25 is a new generation, but nothing's really changed. Such is the sin-stained human heart. And so God must judge. So far across Numbers, we've seen his judgment, haven't we, come in various forms. The bad days for Israel. So God's judgment against sin in chapter 11, fire burns down on the rabble. Quail brings a severe plague. Uh, chapter 12, Miriam turns leprous. Chapter 14, the 10 unfaithful spies get wiped out. And then a whole, new gener a whole generation will not see the promised land. Chapter 16, the earthquake swallows up Korah's rebellion. Fire consumes 250 false priests. 14,700 people die in a plague. Chapter 20, Moses and Aaron and Miriam will not enter the promised land. Chapter 21, the poisonous snakes are sent in judgment. Well, what will God do this time? Numbers chapter 25 verses 4 to 5. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. It's a serious judgment that falls upon Israel, don't you think? God declares this sin, this time, is so grave that the leadership must pay a heavy price. Their death must atone for Israel's sin and rebellion. Something this drastic must happen in order to turn aside God's rightful wrath against his rebellious people. Now, unfortunately, Moses thinks it's a bit too drastic, and so he changes the rules a little in verse 5. He softens the blow, and he says all those involved in this immorality and idolatry must be put to death. The leadership, it seems, appear to escape God's judgment. We aren't told why Moses changes the rules, but perhaps this is why God sends a plague upon his people later in the story. We don't know the result of Moses' change of rules because of an extraordinary event that occurs within the camp. Numbers chapter 25, verses 6 to 9. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. Picture Israel in national mourning. The leaders gather at the tent of meeting with Moses, People are dying, we learn about a plague in verse 9, that wipes out 24,000 Israelites. Let's call it the COVID of Peor. So the tribal leaders gather and they weep, perhaps in repentance, probably because of the loss of life due to the plague. And then an unnamed Israelite enters the scene. 
we later learn his name is Zimri and that his father is a leader from the Simeonite clan. And Zimri, right in front of the eyes of Moses and the other leaders gathered at the, uh, at the tabernacle, including Zimri's dad, and right before the rest of his family, Zimri brings his Midianite girlfriend into the family tent. We later learn this Midianite woman is called Cosby, and she's a daughter of a Midianite king. Now, it doesn't take too much imagination to realise to realize what Zimri and Cosby are up to. The chapter opens with the Israelites taking part in sexual immorality outside the camp. Well, now a sexual encounter with a Midianite woman takes place inside the camp. In fact, under the noses of Moses and the other leaders. Here is a brazen, shameless, public defiance of God's holy commands. In verse 1, it was Moabite women. Now in verse 6, it's a Midianite woman. Both the Moabites and the Midianites, not related to the Vegemites, they are enemies of Israel. And God has made it clear to them, uh, to Israel, not to mix with these nations. Again, to maintain and protect Israel's holiness at this stage of salvation history. But verse 7, enter Phineas. Phineas is a priest, a grandson of Aaron from the tribe of Levi. And he watches Zimri and Cosby parade past the leadership at the tent of meeting and his blood begins to boil. We might say this is the last straw for Phineas in light of verses 1 to 3 of this story. And in a breathtaking moment of raging passion and zeal, Phineas leaves the tent of meeting and the other leaders and he grabs his spear and he walks right into the bedroom of Zimri and in the middle of their sexual activity, Phineas plunges the spear into both the man and the woman, piercing them to death. Phineas, is, uh, Phineas has clearly taken the law into his own hands. And remarkably, we read that after 24,000 Israelites have died under the plague of God's judgment, that God decides this one act by Phineas the priest is enough to stop the plague. Atonement is made. A final price is paid. And a perfect murder has occurred. And God is well pleased. It's another remarkable story in our Bible. Uh, this Bible talk, you see, doesn't need an illustration to keep you awake. We've got an outdoor concert, sex, violence, bloodshed, a good stabbing. I mean, Hollywood would love this chapter, wouldn't they? Well, the remainder of Numbers chapter 25 gives us God's blessing and God's judgment. Numbers chapter 25, verses 10 to 18. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. The name of the slain man of Israel, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, chief of a father's house belonging to the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman, who was killed, was Cosby, the daughter of Zer, who was the tribal head of a father's house in Midian. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Harass the Midianites and strike them down, for they have harassed you with their wiles, with which they beguiled you in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the chief of Midian, their sister, who was killed on the day of the plague on account of Peor. Such action by Phineas the priest, instead of being viewed as sinful, I mean, two people are murdered here, it is actually credited to be godlike in character. Phineas is said to be zealous for God's holiness. He's kept God's honour intact. Phineas is jealous like God. The last person to be jealous in numbers was Joshua, back in chapter 11, verse 29. Well, here in chapter 11 and now in chapter 25 is jealousy in the right sense of the word, that no one else deserves our worship except God alone. And this priest has displayed in this one act of piercing a holy hatred for sin, just like the God he worships. Phineas's anger mirrors the holy anger of God. I think we can rightly call this a perfect murder. A representative sinner is killed. An atonement is made in place of the rest of Israel. Blood has been shed and God's wrath, his anger, has been turned aside. And only 24,000 perish instead of the entire nation. And so God's blessing comes upon the family tree of Phineas, we read. Verse 12, a covenant of peace is established. At a time, remember, when Israel has forfeited peace with God on the plains of Moab. Phineas's zealous action uh, restores such peace. And verse 13, a perpetual priesthood is established. 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 4 to 15, gives us the family tree of high priests that come from Phineas's lineage. And Phineas's zeal becomes a pattern that's repeated across Israel's history. So Samuel's slaying Agag in 1 Samuel 15, or Matthias slaying of the Jew at the altar recorded in 1 Maccabees. Phineas is also celebrated in the poetry of Psalm 106, verse 28 to 31. Then our ancestors joined in the worship of Baal at Peor, they even ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They angered the Lord with all these things, so a plague broke out against them. But Phineas had the courage to intervene, and the plague was stopped. So he has now been regarded as a righteous man ever since that time. But as well as blessings, there are judgments pronounced. In verses 14 to 15, both sinful parties are mentioned by name. So the families of Zimri and Cosby are shamed forever. It's not a good way to get your name in the Bible, is it? And then verses 16 to 18, God's holiness is once more on display. For judgment falls upon the Midianite people, and they're to be treated as enemies and put to death. And then through to the book of Judges and Gideon's story, we learn of this ongoing conflict with the Midianite people. And later in Numbers 31, Cosby's father, King Zerah, is also put to death in one of the last commands God gives to Moses. So in Numbers 25, even though a bad day for Israel on the whole, we do see good in that God's, uh, God brings blessing upon Phineas's house. But he also brings judgment upon the house of Zimri and upon the Midianites, eventually as well upon Balaam. So mercy and judgment on display yet again across the Bible. A bad day, a good day on display yet again for the people of God. Well, how do we apply this R-rated chapter as followers of Jesus? Well, given the fact that you probably don't know too many 
Midianite women sitting in your church, flirting around, and you're probably not allowed by the laws of your land or maybe your church constitution, you're probably not allowed to bring spears into church, especially if your name happens to be Phineas. So what the heck do we do with this part of God's holy word? Well, like the rest of the Old Testament, we read it, we understand it, and we apply it in light of the New Testament and the gospel entrusted to us. This is the way, of course, Jesus and the apostles instruct us to read our Old Testaments. Well, a couple of points of application to get you pondering as you keep wandering. Firstly, and briefly, this chapter highlights the very high view of leadership in the eyes of God and the call to account of those who are given such responsibility over the people of God. Leadership is mentioned right across this chapter. Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6, verses 14 to 15, the parents of both Zimri and Cosby are leaders. Number, Numbers chapter 25 reminds us that when leadership know about sin and evil in their midst and do nothing about it, then God will call such leaders to account. This, of course, is further applied across the New Testament with the noble call for those in any leadership role across Jesus' church. You only have to read through the pastoral letters in the New Testament to know God's heart on these matters. So here's a simple reminder, please, to pray for those in leadership across your church. They would really, really value that. But perhaps more remarkably, Numbers chapter 25 is another picture of the gospel of all grace and yet another reason to praise the God of endless grace. For with your Jesus glasses on as you study this chapter, it's not hard to see the parallels. In Numbers 25, it's the act of one man to save his people. What no one else seemed willing to do, Phineas steps in. He is the only one who is reported to have lifted a hand against the sin before their eyes. A sin, remember, that threatens to destroy God's people. The act of this one man saves his nation. The act of this one man turns away, turns aside God's wrath. The act of this one man brings in a covenant of peace. And many centuries later, another Israelite, another priest, in fact, enters the scene. He too is zealous for God's honour and his name. And he too provides the means of atonement for sin, turning aside God's wrath and establishing an eternal covenant of peace. And through the act of one man, we have our plague stopper. Through the act of one man, we have atonement made for your sin and mine, through the act of one man, we have a perfect murder taking place that brings about God's forgiveness for any scale of sin and rebellion, be it on a national scale, like in Numbers 25, or on a personal scale, like your sin this very day. And just like Phineas's spear pierced sinners in their tent, so too the nails and spear will pierce the Lord Jesus on the cross. But it was not as a sinner, of course, that Jesus is pierced, for he is sinless. No, Jesus is pierced as sin for us, as he who knew no sin becomes sin for us, and by his wounds we are healed. And the Lord Jesus Christ, pierced upon that cross, turns aside God's anger at our sin, and his blood and his sacrifice is the means and the ends to stopping God's judgment, God's plague against sinners like you and me. Once again, my friends, let's be eternally thankful 
But what God does in Numbers chapter 25, that points to us what God has done in our Lord Jesus Christ, our perfect high priest, our great and final plague stopper. Thanks for listening to Meals for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.